Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis. I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, recording from what could charitably be described as not a man cave, but the man cave, <laughs> my good buddy and producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Dude, how are you doing? I love embracing the purples, okay? Just going to say it. it. sets a good mood for me. Dude, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of purples. <laughs> I, I mean... Uh, I honestly that I'm a big just blue lights. I'd probably go more towards the periwinkle end of the sure, spectrum sure. Mm-hmm. with my uh, my uh, uh, lights behind the TV. But no, I'm there with you every step of the way. Um, dude, first of all, apologies. I had a kind of a, a family emergency situation which delayed us for a, a week. So, you know, I always feel bad when we kind of miss a week. We tend to be extraordinarily regular and uh <laughs> I will not throw you under the bus for that one, Cameron. Well, thanks, man. And no worries. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes you don't want the fiber every single week, you know. Right, right. <laughs> the daily or the weekly dose of the spike feed. Yeah, right. So, I mean, we are like a frosted mini wheat for sure. Do <laughs> um, they, they still make those, right? Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah. I mean, I know they make the yeah. generic off-brand versions. I can tell you that. Okay. Um, the Malto meal version. Yep. <laughs> okay. Never is, well, for never those of you who don't know, yeah, Malto Meal is the bag cereal that doesn't isn't actually in a box. Many would argue blueberry muffin tops are better than any other <laughs> of the box cereals, but you know we can share our thoughts on BBMTs later on. That's a <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Okay. Um, I can't remember. There's an old video pod, pod, video game podcast where they would taste test cereals and. They always ranked BBMTs very, very highly. I'm sure they I mean, um, you have to, but now I really want to watch this podcast. Can we just <laughs> meta commentary yeah. on other podcasts? Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Don't you love the idea, though, of them making a cereal and they're like, hey, we've called this cereal um, Blueberry Muffin Bites. And they're like, okay, but there's only one good part of the Blueberry Muffin, <laughs> and that's the top. Yeah. Top so of the get rid of that, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> we're, on- we're only the finest of muffin parts. Are used in this cereal. <laughs> anyway, see, see what happens, Cameron, when we're away for a couple yeah, weeks. I guess, yeah. We're um, going to some space cadet areas. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, so Magic the Gathering. Mm. Because of my situation, I haven't played a lot. Show just leaning hard on you. You've got to carry us the whole way, Cameron. <sighs> go. Let's go. What you been up to? Uh, this little format called Legacy. Still exists. I'm listening. Still really good. Um, still, I think would I would argue needs some tweaking. Um, but you know what? I'm enjoying my time with it. Uh, good people, good cards, great time just playing Magic the Gathering. Um, mm-hmm. Playing the blue white control list that I have, running the Wandering Emperor all-star i can't get over like how good this card is like all-star good good, like legacy level good um hull breacher i don't know if you remember hull breacher um banned in commander um very likely going to be banned in legacy i think once people kind of warm up to what this card can do um and if you can't remember hull breacher has flash cost three um, 
if an opponent would draw a card except the first one they draw each of their turns or each of their draw steps, instead you create a treasure token. Um, so, you know, it can be a blowout against the Brainstorm decks. Um, and I'm running one Shark Typhoon, and oh, you better believe I've hard cast a Shark Typhoon. <laughs> oh my God. So, um, there's that. Um, on top of that, it's also running Days Undoing. And I don't know if I'm totally in love with this card. This is the um, both opponent, or you and an opponent. Um, I'm sorry, each player shuffles their hand in graveyard into the library and then draws seven cards. Well, if you have either Narset or Hullbreacher onto the battlefield, um, you know, you're drawing new cards and your opponent is stuck with one. You know, so like it can mm -hmm. be really, really kind of a blowout, but I do find it to be maybe just a little too cute. And I think there's some other things I'd rather be doing with that maybe three spot and like you're really kind of pushing it with both wandering emperor and narset to fairy there's a lot of high casting cost stuff and it's not a bad thing i just feel like there's some other things i might want to try doing in that three spot or optimally a, a two spot um but i had a really good time playing this deck i ended up going two one um there wasn't a huge turnout um, and I definitely need to work on the sideboard. Um, I'm running like one volcanic Island and, and then you have like your pyroblasts on the side just for like the mirror matches. Um, yeah, it, it's overall a pretty decent deck. Um, and I just, I literally just ripped off like the first one that I saw in MTG goldfish and made a couple like tweaks for myself. Um, but overall really digging it. Um, Wandering Emperor is making me really, really want to um, dip my toe back into Stoneblade again and just try to figure something out with Stoneblade just because it just seems like peanut butter and jelly. Well, and you're playing like a little lo local Legacy event. I know that the vibe on Legacy has been Delver is still a problem. Delver still can't be sopped. Um, I, I do want to just mention here with the Days Undoing thing, I think that's symptomatic of... Um, a problem, you know, like kind of the win more uh, thing with cards, like Days Undoing by itself, generally speaking, is not a great card if you're up against a deck like Delver, right? Yeah. Uh, it's almost certainly not what you want to have happen. So you need to have Narset or Holbreacher in play. It's like, well, Nar Narset and Holbreacher stand on their own. Yep. Like you, they don't need support to be good in those scenarios where Days Undoing does. Three mana is not nothing in Legacy, especially when the best deck is a Stifle deck. And, I mean, look, we live in a world where the Legacy metagame doesn't react properly all the time. But, um, you know, in the past, when Delver becomes the best deck, specifically something like Death and Taxes kind of pops up out of, out of the ether to really, really put the hurting on that deck. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, that's a really good matchup for Death and Taxes. I know out there there's going to be a Delver player that, you know, they're going to tell me what Pyroclasm effect they side in sure. or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, dude, I, I've seen so many times where even they, they flip a Delver or whatever, but the mana denial plus the amount of power that they can put on the board, they can easily race you. Mm -hmm. And Athalia sometimes can just completely destroy what a Delver deck does, right? Yep. Um, so anyway, uh, that's so cool that you got to play Legacy. Uh, you know, I, Legacy probably is like, um, you know, if you like go to see the Eagles now or something, <laughs> you know? 
Sure. Yeah. Once the premium, maybe, you know, still got some echoes of that, but mm-hmm. not what they once were. Yeah. Right. Um, maybe Metallica's like the Eagles are most certainly too old for this analogy. Maybe like Metallica Rage Against the Machine. I don't know, Cameron. Maybe maybe you're into uh, you know, Limp Biscuit, whatever. Right? Sure. <laughs> you can't you just lumped Limp Biscuit into Metallica, man. I mean uh, whatever. Cameron, you don't or you know, but the listeners don't my thoughts on new metal. Seven dust, and then the rest is a waste of your time. <laughs> true absolutely true (laughs) yeah all you need if you want a good new metal experience you just put on a seven dust album you're set okay nothing's gonna live up to it there it is all right um so you also got to play some pioneer yeah i it was a couple weeks ago now um pioneer's good like i'm just playing that blue white list that i have for that um that's the beautiful thing that i love right now about i feel like some of these decks are just really so interchangeable. They're approaching the game in a similar sort of fashion, but like my my opponents are just completely random where I'm playing against a Delver deck here and then Winota deck over here. Um, yeah, Pioneer, the state of Pioneer. I really think that Winota's going to need to get addressed sooner rather than later, especially as we enter legit real big tournaments with like real money on the line um that card i I just i can't see any scenario where that's not busted in what it's doing i mean they can end up swinging with you know 16 power and it's just i don't know like the, the swing is just so absurd that um yeah you can stop it but it also is pretty consistent in what it's doing you know yeah, and I think a comp would be the early because a lot of people have talked about they feel like Pioneer is better than the early days of modern. I actually think it's kind of better already. Mm-hmm. But um, the, they comp uh, Winota to Splinter Twin mm. in early um, modern, where that was kind of the auto win, and a lot of people knew it was the best deck. But you know, modern kind of had this you can play whatever you want, right? And so they kept printing. You remember how many different sideboard hate cards there were that oh meant, were meant to address Splinter Twin? And uh, spoiler, none of them ever <laughs> did the job, right? So, I mean, I do think it is an interesting thought experiment to see, think about what Splinter Twin would do in modern now. Uh, the format is so fast that maybe it wouldn't matter. Uh, but I've, Birthing Pod is over there in the corner saying, what about me, what bro? What about you, seriously? Uh, yeah. <laughs> So um, here's what I want to do because Streets of New Capena, we've Capena, Capena, I've never said this correctly. Um, interesting kind of uh, breakdown. So this is going to be the first set where they try their new thing. It comes out, I believe, this weekend mm-hmm. in stores. And then I think it's the week after or several days after, maybe five days, it will be available on Arena. So we've reversed it in, a, in an effort to try and get people at stores. I went to look at my local store's listings. They still have not posted their times for it. Uh, in case you're wondering, they have posted times for their new Yu-Gi-Oh! event and their Flesh and Blood event. So that's a little concerning. That's very concerning. So again, we got a claw back. Are you going to go to the pre-release? I am. I'm planning to go um, to the Old Man Flight Saturday at noon. I like it. Show's moxie. Um, 
And the other thing that I would say is kind of brewing, there's there's a couple things. Number one, uh, a lot of people on Twitter have kind of expressed their distaste for the treasure mechanic and how often Watsi is going for it. And it seems like we're getting treasures a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so also it's kind of leading to, again, that kind of, um, I don't want to say uh, a wilderness reclamation. What's the red one? Fires of invention. Oh, it's mm-hmm. not to that degree of like mana doubling, but you know we've all been on the receiving end of some goldspan dragon treasure token shenanigans, mm-hmm. and uh, you know where they can cast a million things. Um, and secondly, that this set feels very commander centric, maybe more than any other standard set in the past. I feel like this uh, criticism. Pops up with basically every standard set that's come out since, uh, I don't know, Dominaria or something mm-hmm. like. Every, this one, this feels very commandery. Um, just like your quick looks at the set, what's been your thoughts so far, Cameron? Yeah, I mean, I mean, to the I guess people saying that it feels like commander, I think that's going to happen when you're really leaning into the three color decks. Like I think that's just yeah. kind of the thing, right? And I mean, if there's one thing that has been like a boon for Commander, it's the Triumphs. Um, and here we are with, you know, another set of Triumphs. So, yeah, I feel like while it may scream like it has a lot of things in it that are for Commander, it does feel like it's going to be a decent set. I don't know if it's going to be my favorite set. Um, once again, because we have the things like the Triumphs, they're great, and I'm glad to see them out in the wild. Um, I don't like what this does for the health of a standard format. I like my two-color decks in standard, and when we start getting to three where it's like anything goes, it might not happen this standard, but you know, two standards from now, it's going to be solved. You're using, you know these eight triomes and you're playing a four-color deck, you know, and it's just not my favorite thing. Yeah, and I think it's kind of an unpopular opinion that the Triumphs are too good for Standard, and I know Standard isn't the focus, but that's very much where I'm at, dude. Mm-hmm. I've kind of had it. To me, the Triumphs are like Jude Law's uh, American accent. I'm done, you know? <laughs> I, I I don't need to see it anymore. It's, it's tiresome, uh-huh. and we've been here before, and it didn't work out, right? Um, anyway, so... Uh, I want to just, speaking of the treasure thing, I'm going to start you off. I want you to read for us Bootlegger Stash, because this was one of the cards that really kind of kicked off this conversation. Yeah, so Bootlegger Stash is an artifact that costs five colorless and a green. Lands you control have tap, create a treasure token. Uh, um, at six mana, like it, it does feel like, dude, I, I hate saying this, this is the sort of card that feels like fires of invention wilderness reclamation specifically kind of like in that wilderness reclamation you're, it's not going to be hard to get to six mana like there's ramp there's still ramp not the best ramp but there's still ramp um where uh, like what are you doing with this man i mean you're obviously you're going to be casting everything from your hand but it's like do you really need this in combination with um our favorite Treefolk Planeswalker right now. And I don't know, it just rings like my spidey sense is tingling. I'll just say that. 
Yeah, I, I, I also kind of when I think about the play patterns of this card, seems not great if I'm actually thinking about it in the sense of a physical card game. Mm-hmm. So like, mm. let's pretend that you're whatever, blue red, I'm green red, or blue green ramp or whatever. I resolve this, pass the turn, you play a goldspan dragon, I'm like, okay. And then, you know, maybe I untap, then I say pass again. And then I want to tap all my stuff on my instep to create six, seven treasures. Yeah. And then I untap again, and I'm at 14 mana. Is that right? And that's including if I don't have a gold span dragon. So, like, yeah. things get... I, I, I get it. Yes, you do have to tap out at six, right? So, effectively, this gets a kind of a downturn where Wilderness Reclamation didn't. But this feels like the kind of card that is either completely like worthless and garbage to standard constructed play or completely completely busted yeah. i don't know that there's going to be a middle ground where you're like yeah i play two of these yeah you yeah. know <laughs> and that's the thing like i also like it's not legendary which like we're talking like absurd amounts of mana then right mm-hmm. yeah 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 but and also if you have a i mean if you have a goldspan dragon out then it's just I mean, it's functionally infinite, man, at that point, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's a lot. And I get, I get, okay, yes, six man is a lot. It, I just don't know that there's something putting enough pressure on the bottom Agent level. Agent of Chetri was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God. Uh I mean, this this is like a. There are ways, dude. You don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, there, are there are ways to get to six man. <laughs> uh, here, here's a card that I actually is probably a card that I will almost never resolve. <laughs> I actually think is a perfect design for the kind of magic I like to play. Tenacious underdog, great name too, by the way. Mm-hmm. One in a black for a human warrior. Um, and he's got three, he's uh, three, two power toughness, blitz, two black, black, pay two life. You may cast Tenacious Underdog from your graveyard using its blitz ability. So, kind of a traditional mono black aggro um, card, which mm-hmm. is super cool. Um, I should say, uh, I should say uh, what blitz is. Blitz, if you cast a spell for its blitz, co- blitz cost, it gains haste, and when this creature dra- dies, draw a card. Sacrifice it at the beginning of next end step. Okay? So kind of a ball lightning style effect mm-hmm. with a, uh, a draw a card added on. So, again, not my style of card whatsoever, but I think this is super interesting. Two mana, there's some fragility to it, but also some like built-in card advantage. This is the kind of magic I want. So I'm really stoked about this card. What do you think, dude? I could not agree more. Like, um, this is the power level I want my creatures all the time. <laughs> Super interesting mechanic. There's some great recursion. You actually have to deal with it like by ex- exiling it or doing something along those lines. Um, the pay to life is a you know can be a downside, shocking yourself, but it's also like right in. It tracks with like what you're doing within like this mono black deck or black-white aggro sort of deck. I really, really like this card. I don't know if we'll actually see any play. <laughs> well, yeah, because especially the the green dudes and the white, the mono, well, mono green's fallen off compared to mono white. Mono white's kind of established itself as the aggro deck. Those dudes get beefy. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the Luminar Casperants of the world, um, they're not playing, dude. They're, they are, they are going to get beefy and maybe outclass this guy a little fast. But I love, I don't know, made my heart sing to see a card with a downside for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. Like, we really got away from that. So, Cameron, because I love you and you're an amazing producer and uh, <laughs> everything, I just, I just wanted you to get the Esper Charm, the new Esper Charm. Thanks. Um, it's it's all it's all about you, dude. It's not because I don't want to read this massive. Paragraph. Go for it. <laughs> okay, chapter one, cost one, <laughs> uh, white, blue, and a black Esper. It's an instant. Choose one. Return target multicolored permanent with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Counter target instant or sorcery spell, or destroy target creature or planeswalker with mana value three or less. Um, you know, like for an Esper charm. I'm liking everything like every one of these um, modes is functional. Like there's nothing in this that I would say is dead. Um, If you're playing some sort of like low to the ground Esper deck, I I think every single one of these has a place and I, I, I like it. Um, is there an Esper deck worth putting it in though? Like that's one of the big questions I have, but um, everything on it, I, I like as an instant card. Yeah. Yeah. So we keep saying Esper. The thing is called Obscura, Obscura. Charm. So sorry. I don't want. Yeah. Sorry. It, it's Esper, Cameron. We all know it. You know it. Right. I mean, my dog's name is Esper. Okay. This is, <laughs> this is the life I lead, man. So um, anyway, uh, yeah, so here's what's interesting about this card. Uh, standard, I think, we'll have to get uh, a real feel for this set because there will have to be multiple cards from this set that make that deck viable. And because, you know, in a vacuum, man, that deck is far off. Mm-hmm. It is not close. You're so much better off just playing blue-white or blue-black. And even then, they're so short of what blue-red is. Um, however, the aforementioned triumphs are going to add... Uh, you know, a lot of seasoning to this soup. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Um, the interesting thing is uh, how this interacts with three mana to fairy. Uh, so you can use this to return him at instant speed, which is a that. very strong play. Um, I don't know that it's going to come up that often. Uh, and we're talking what? Modern legacy there, right? Because isn't he banned in Pioneer? Yes. <laughs> He's banned yeah. in historic or er, adjusted in historic. Yeah. Um, so you can't do it because I think he costs four mana now in historic. Um, but there's that. Like, look, the counter instant sorcery spell, yes, this can pitch to force of will. Yes, you can destroy something that is small at three mana. I think this is probably a little bit more than what you need in legacy and probably just worse than esper charm Mm -hmm. um but it's a cool card it's a cool card and if you're worried that i'm not going to spend the first week of release trying to get this card to work oh don't worry friends (laughs) don't worry friends i i will do that work for you um riveter's charm is the last one i wanted to go over this is the jund one for those of you who uh abla 2008 magic um, it is a black, red, green. Choose one. Target opponent sacrifice a creature or planeswalker 
they control with the highest mana value among creatures and planeswalkers they control. Translation, Wandering Empire. Emperor. It's, what's that's going to hit? Exile the top three cards of your library until your next step. In step, you may play those cards. Um, and then lastly, exile target player's graveyard, which I guess it's been pointed out, this was on the previous gen charm, <laughs> that you could hmm. exile their graveyard. Um, anyway, I think the middle ability is the one that we're kind of overlooking. I'm mm -hmm. super brain farting on the five mana green red spell uh, from the Omnath deck that also got banned uh, where you could like, you flip five cards and you could play permanence for yeah, oh until the next instance. Um, but hey, that card got banned. Uh, and anyway, point being is, dude, is it really the spike feed if we remember all the names of the cards? I was going to say, we I mean, have to on. be like batting 300 on, on our card names. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So anyway, that effect, I think, is an easy one to overlook, and it's much stronger than you think. Specifically, if we're talking about mana ramp, this is the kind of card that plays really well in those situations and with our uh, our previous ramp uh, artifact. What do you think of this one, dude? Yeah, totally, for sure. And, like, I mean, yeah, the instant speed on that, right? I mean, exile the three cards, like, all of a sudden I have extra fuel, you know, I can pitch that extra land that I have. I don't know. There's just so many like little instances where I feel like this is the sort of thing that you want to be doing. So yeah, you know, removing the biggest, baddest threat from your opponent is great. I mean, there's not like, that's great. You know, um, graveyard might be a thing. I, I don't think it will be, but it seems okay. It has utility every once in a while. Right. But yeah, that middle ability at instant speed, allowing you then to cast things on your turn from exile is, is huge. I like that ability a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's effectively drawing a lot. And if there's anything that's like, can double the amount of lands you put in play, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. It's just, it's amazing how cards like this stack up that way. So, Hey, we only talk about the newest, freshest games. Absolutely. Cameron. So we're going to get out of statement, come back and you're going to talk a little bit about bloodborne. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right, Cameron. So again, we're just touring the FromSoft games. In case you're wondering, I'm like 30-ish hours into Elden Ring. Okay. I've beaten, uh, I can't remember her name, the wizard lady at the School oh, of sure. Magic. Yeah, yeah. So now that means can, I'm like, probably... You can change your spec order or whatever if you want to, if you want to start going a strength build or whatever, right? No, I've been intelligent samurai basically for almost the whole game. When it became clear that blocking was um, not a viable strategy, at least in my estimation, mm -hmm. uh, that was like so. I, I I got out that left hand and I put a wand in it, like Absolutely. a man. Yeah, Cameron. yeah, I love it. Um, anyway, dude. So yeah, I'm interested to hear you going back to Bloodborne after being away for so long. Yeah. What's been your thoughts? Yeah, so I mean, like, I started Bloodborne, and I, I put a good, like, four or five hours into it, I, and for whatever reason, it just didn't strike me. That was my first FromSoft game that I had ever played, um, and I don't know if it's the right one to start off with. I mean, everybody was talking about it at the time, um, so, you know, it's kind of like... Um, HP Lovecraft horror sort of vibe that the, the, the world that they're going for. Um, the mechanics are way different than something like Dark Souls or Dark Souls 3, I would argue. 
Um, and so like it was doing a, you know, kind of like a spin on their classic formula and, uh, yeah, for some reason it just didn't, it didn't catch me the way that I was wanting it to. And so I just kind of quit playing. I didn't want to put any time into it. Um, fast forward to 2022 where now I've sunk over, you know, a hundred hours into Elden Ring and I'm like, I need more from software games. Um, and so I'm kind of going back through it and kind of breezing my way through it. I would say like, I wouldn't, it's hard, but it's not nearly as hard as Sekiro, right. Or, um, any of those games, I think, I think it's honestly, I think it's honestly the easiest one. I think it is. Yeah. Um, and it's really, really good. Um, the world, you have to be into that sort of like horror vibe that they have going on. But um, I don't know. I, I, I've been, I like the world. I like the level design, um, all that stuff. It's very Dark Souls and it's great. Um, this is running at sub 30 frames per second. And that's probably the thing, honestly, that is the biggest knock against this game for me. Just because I have become such a snob with minimum 60 fps on everything like i mean like everything just runs at 60 now um going back to 27 26 frames per second on old ps4 hardware is a really hard transition um so that's like the the i would say the most difficult thing about playing this game is just when you have six things going on on screen that frame rate really crawls and um I mean, you know, timing is still pretty important and that can throw you for a loop. So anyway, uh, I guess this is my recommendation. Check out Bloodborne if you haven't. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, and I'm sure somewhere in our show's history, we have recorded our initial impressions of Bloodborne. I mm. think that's how long we've been around. Wow, yeah. And I remember the biggest problem being, A, I was learning, because I had played Demon Souls, not a lot, but I had Dustin, former show host Dustin, loaned it to me. And I was like, I kind of at least quasi understood what was happening. Uh, but the load times in the original release were horrific, like two or three minutes. I mean, the, the PS4 era, for better or for worse, is going down in history as the, the loading times era right. yeah. of, uh, you know, like in what Red Dead 2 also had like infamously terrible loading times, Witcher 3 all these games would just load and load and load and load. And so like you get into these moments where you would start a game and not actually get into it for like six, seven minutes. Um, and in Bloodborne, when you die unexpectedly and then you load for three minutes, it really kills your momentum. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, look, my high level thing is I think Elden Ring feels a lot like Bloodborne, like the way your character moves. Mm-hmm. And it might just be the strategy I've employed but blocking is very de-emphasized. Uh, there's a lot of get behind them, smack them uh, stuff, and you're, there's very little punishment for that. Like the bosses, like you get a lot of uh, invisibility frames from your rolls in Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. So you just are you're a, you're a moving son of a gun, and you yeah. just keep going behind them and smacking them and smacking them. And I don't, I would say though that there are certain segments. It's, there's a I can't remember the name, but there's a particular castle that you get taken away to in Bloodborne that I just think is one of the best things that they've ever designed. I loved that moment. Hmm. Um, so there's really good moments in Bloodborne, um, but it, to me, I find it uneven. Just like I kind of find Elden Ring to be a little uneven, whereas I like 
Sekiro and the original Dark Souls to me are just like these really pure experiences. In Demon's Souls, I need to play it again. It's much shorter mm-hmm. than all these games that we're talking about, and I don't know if that's what made me enjoy it. But you know, playing the remake, I really loved it too. Hmm. Um, and maybe it's just because it was like the first draft of, a, of something that was cool. Um, I I will say, um, I mean, it's always great to get your money's worth, right? With like, oh, I spent sixty dollars and I got a hundred hours out of this game. But there is such beauty in something like Sifu that takes 10, 12 hours. It's like kind of like this four-part sit-down experience that you can have and you're done with it. Um, and I, I've, I've really come to appreciate, um, I, I would love like that difficulty scale like of Sifu or, or Dark Souls, but like in that shorter compartmentalized uh, package. Um I don't know. I guess I like both aspects and I'm just really right now wanting some of those shorter experiences in a, in a game. I can't imagine why. (laughs) I mean, like I picked up the final fantasy stranger paradise and I think I might put Elden ring down for a minute just to play this, but then I'm worried that I'll lose all my Elden ring. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, muscle memory. Oh, sure. Yeah. And momentum. Um, so Cameron, I want to talk to you about moon Knight really quickly. So, have you watched any of the Moon Knight Disney uh, Plus show? I'm kind of waiting until Obi-Wan, and then I'll get my Disney subscription again. Okay. Um, I don't know that you should watch it, to be honest okay. with you. Um, it's not great. Uh, I've found it to be very medium, I guess is how I would put it. But I kind of had this moment where I was like, I kind of see what they're going for with this, and I know... Literally nothing about Moon Knight. I would argue that of all the Marvel characters that have appeared on screen to this point, he is easily the one that I know the least about. I'm sitting next to, I don't know how many hundreds, if not thousands of comic books in my <laughs> uh-huh. my uh, pull-out cabinets over here, and I'm fairly certain Moon Knight's not in a single one of them. Okay? So, I knew nothing about just the setup for the character. I didn't know... Like, I was thought from afar oh it's just marvel trying to do batman i did not know that there was a uh, multiple personality uh situation with the character i did not know that there's this entire strain of basically the mummy inside of moon knight or you know a lot of ancient egypt mythology built into this character and these are all things that speak to me a lot. One of the, one of my favorite characters from when I was a kid was Ghost Rider, mm-hmm. and that was, uh, again, admittedly very steeped in 90s cool, but it was a lot about two personalities competing for one physical space, one body, right? Mm-hmm. And Moon Knight does this with four people, basically. <laughs> and um, a, I, again, did not know this, and I didn't know that all this ancient Egyptian mythology was roped into it. So I went out to, um, uh, unfortunately, my local comic shop had no Moon Knight. So I went to, which, again, you got to ask about why are they ordering what they're ordering. Like, right? if you know that's the new Marvel show, you would think they would at least order some of the new trades. Well, whatever. So then I was unfortunately forced to go to Barnes & Noble, where I had an inter- interesting interaction with a young lady. I told her I was looking for Moon Knight trades because I, they weren't in the area. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, are they on an end cap or whatever? And she's like, well, can you spell it for me? And I said, Moon Knight. And she said, 
Can you spell that for me, please, sir? And then I proceeded to spell Moon Knight to a bookstore employee. I can't tell if I was being pranked or what was happening mm-hmm. there. Hey, that cake uh, can throw people for a loop, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I got the trade, the... Um, it's a Jeff Lemire trade. I can never say that guy's name right. Um, but he's been doing a lot of Marvel stuff. I think he did a big stretch in Old Man Logan amongst, like, I think he even had an X-Men run. Um, and look, let's just get this out of the way right now. This was a 14-issue trade, and it cost me, like, 40 bucks. Hmm. And if you are, and, and I'm, like, committed to, I really want to read things on paper, trying to reduce my screen time, so yeah. I went ahead and pulled the trigger on that. But it's hard to say, yeah, you need to do that when we're talking about that could get you six months of literally every Marvel comic ever published digitally. You know, you do you. But the point is, this run I thought was fantastic. Um, It is a lot more of a psychological thriller, kind of more of a Shutter Island vibe than a Batman thing. And yeah, I mean, it is is a Marvel comic. Like, you're not going to be blown away by the outcome or anything like that. But to me, what makes Marvel, good Marvel comics, great is execution of the concepts, right? When you read that really good uh, run of Captain America from, you know, 2005 or whatever, it's the execution of the concepts. There's nothing in there that you're like, oh my gosh, Captain America's fighting Hydra, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I have just completely fallen in love with this character. I've found since found out that there's another seminal um, uh, run on it by Warren Ellis, who's my favorite comic book writer yeah. of all time. Um, and I'm really anxious to get to that. But I, I kind of, on one hand, it's a little annoying that, hey, what inspired me to do this is a probably very aggressive, aggressively mediocre TV series. Mm-hmm. But dude, uh, it introduced me to a character that I now really love. Like I think is a great nice. character. And when you're, Creeping up on 40, discovering a new new favorite Marvel character. That doesn't happen every day, man. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so skip the show. Read the book. You've probably heard a version of that story before, right? But that's the truth. So um, Cameron, if someone would like to get a hold of you and tell you about their favorite hidden Marvel comic book character, where could they find you? <laughs> that's all at Cameron underscore McCoy. I'm Matt Curtis now. Our official show beat is at Spike Beat MTG. We'll check you guys next week.